Anger is a relationship fracturing phenomenon that happens too often between individuals. The angry heart desires something from someone who does not provide it, or they're not responding quickly enough. And because of their desire, it's not finding satiation. The craving soul begins to manipulate the other person with anger. I am speaking about sinful anger, of course. It is as though they are saying, I will only be content. I will only be happy if you meet this need. In nearly all of these cases, the short-tempered person has too many needs. Welcome to the podcast. This is Rick Thomas, and you're listening to Life Over Coffee. Thank you so much for joining me. I am doing a video recording of this podcast, and so you have options here. You can read the article, a full transcript of, of what I'm writing to you and or what I'm sharing to you on this podcast. You can also, of course, listen to the audio podcast, and you can watch the videos. So you can read, you can watch, you can listen. Listen. Of course, we are a dialogue ministry as well, and so if you want to discuss, well, we have uh, community forums that you can jump on, and we would love to engage you about this article here or anything else that's on your mind. Because we're not an omnipresent ministry, meaning we are a small team of disciple makers, we are not able to be everywhere at all time, and so we don't interact with people on social media platforms. It's not that we are snobbish or trying to stand off from people or that we're dismissive. We're not. We want to engage you. But again, we do have a small team and we have 20 plus social media platforms and sometimes people can fall through the cracks. And so we have just found that it is a best practice uh, to funnel everybody to one place to where we can have a civil conversation about whatever is important to you. Now, I am in process of writing a digital book, an ebook that I'm going to give away to you all. I want you to have it. It is on anger because it is a, a universal condition. It is a universal problem. I have completed several chapters already. I think I have one more in addition to this one. I, I will tidy it up and we'll get it ready for you soon, and I will let you know about that, and I want you to to have all of these chapters in one place. But if you want to read this chapter, then I would love for you to go to our website. And here's the title of it, How to Respond to Angry People with Too Many Needs. Because ultimately, that's what you are interacting with when you have a person who is being sinfully angry to where they are manipulating you, trying to force you, demand you, get something out of you. They are needy, and they're manipulating you to to uh, satisfy that need. And that's why I, I titled this podcast, Angry People Have Too Many Needs, specifically how to respond to angry people with too many needs. And so without being the word police, what if we took time to think about this conjunction of needs and desires in the most technical and straight-laced way? 
I say without being the word police because I don't want to be word policey or play whack-a-mole with you. I don't care if you call this list that I'm about to present to you needs or desires. It doesn't matter. But it is important that you have a clear-headed understanding on what are true needs versus what resides on that secondary plane of desires. They haven't elevated to that level of needs. And so it might be an excellent exercise, even before you go any further. Now, if you're reading the article, this would be a great place to stop and for you to jot down things that you would call needs. Make a quick list of what you believe to be genuine needs. I'm going to share with you my list in just a few seconds, and you will find only a few things that reach the high bar of actual needs. Now, what I have done with my needs is I have put them in two categories. There are physical needs and they are spiritual needs. Here is my list, spiritual needs. I have one, two, three, four, possibly five things on that list. That's all. Food, water, air, shelter, possibly clothing, depending on where you live. I suppose you could live without clothing on on an island somewhere. And so I'm going to say for the sake of argument that there are five physical needs, meaning that you absolutely have to have these. Food, water, air, shelter, and clothing. And then there are spiritual needs. I am going to suggest to you that there is only one, and that is regeneration. Well, obviously, that should be on all of our list as far as spiritual needs is concerned, but that's the only one that I am placing on that list. Now, obviously, within the regeneration basket are a lot of benefits of being a child of God, but it comes with having this one need met, regeneration. And of course, if you don't have that need met, there is an eternal destination uh, for you uh, that you will regret it uh, eternally. Now, of course, there are secondary needs, and, and probably one of the most common ones that come that comes up is, is love. What, what about love? Well, it is a secondary need, uh, and it's essential in a secondary sense. But there are only five primary needs in the most technical sense, food, water, air, shelter, clothing, and and then my sixth one, which is regeneration. If you were on a deserted island, love would not be of utmost importance. I mean, you could live a long life without having someone to love or to experience love from someone. You can survive meaning it's not on that level of need in the most technical sense to where I absolutely have to have it. Of course, even more effectively, if you are a Christian, you would live very well on a deserted island as much as very well can be because of the benefits of knowing and experiencing the love of God, which comes in that big basket of regeneration. That said, the problem for too many angry, needy people— is that they add their secondary need list to the primary needs, which is why the temptation of anger assaults these enlarged, ravenous souls. Desiring a good thing versus needing a good thing resides on different 
planes. We have to understand this. It's not that you ignore the lower plane desires. I mean, image bearers should always reciprocate secondary desires to each other. I mean, love is the second great commandment that we see in Matthew 22, verse 39. Though the lack of getting it from someone is not all controlling, because at the end of the day, it is a secondary desire. The danger of elevating lower matters to primary matters is that you may become demanding or even manipulative if you do not receive it as though you were fighting for air or water. When secondary needs or desires or cravings or lust become primary in our lives, we will always live in relational disharmony where individuals are no longer equal. There will be the, the greater and lesser, where, where the needy lesser makes demands of the greater. The greater is their functional idol. I need you to, to give me this. These managed souls have expanded need categories that place undue anxiety on relationships as they try to exert power over those they can manipulate until they get what they demand. Most of the time, the needy, angry person has a low-grade fever that rides under the surface of, of their lives. It's not really perceptible. I mean, they can be in our churches. They can be in our communities. They can be in, in our businesses. They can be in our schools. And we never really know that they have this low-level grade fever, as I call it, of, of anger. It's more subtle than the culture's rage but is powerful enough to rob them of the joy that Christ offers with the victory that he won through the gospel. You will recognize them by their fruit. For example, I'm going to give you a few illustrations of how expanded need categories place excessive demands on others while draining both souls, the needy, angry person and the person that they are ma manipulating. And you will know this, even though most of the time this low-grade anger fever rides under the surface of their lives, there will be moments when it will spike and you will realize this is an angry person. Here's a few illustrations of, of what, a, what happens to a person who elevates secondary desires to primary needs. A few quotes. Why didn't you pass the salad dressing when I asked for it? And they get angry at you. And there's nothing wrong with asking the question, but if you, if you lace the question with sinful anger, well, then you have elevated a desire to a primary need, and now it is managing you. You have too many needs, as the title of the podcast and the article suggest. Here's another quote. Why were you standing there so long talking? You knew I wanted to go. Again, it's a fine thing to say or to ask of someone, but not sinfully. There is something wrong with this person. They're too needy. Something is controlling them in the moment. Here's a third one. Mom, his bowl of ice cream is bigger than mine. Okay, 
Uh, do, do you need to have the same quantity of, of ice cream? I mean, why are you sinning when you're expressing that to me? You have way too many needs, son. Now, maybe that's not the answer uh, that you would give to your child at that moment because there is immaturity in play here. And, and again, you want to be careful and you want to be measured when you try to walk them through this of how to uh, function with humility as they think about the larger bowl of ice cream that the sibling has. Here's a fourth quote. The reason I don't like you is that you are a critical person. Now, this one is this one has layers to it that you want to tease out. Because if you're married to a critical person or you're in relationship or proximity to a, a critical person, they are hard to like. I will talk a little bit later, as Jesus said, to love your enemies. And so that critical person can't have so much control over us that now we are responding sinfully angry because we need them to be a certain way. No, we can benefit from the love of God, and we can even love them appropriately and biblically, even if they stay in a critical way. I'm not saying that it's right, uh, but we have overcoming power through the gospel to where we ultimately do not need them uh, to be the way that we want them to be, even though it would be preferable both for them and us. Here is a, a fifth quote. You, you never tell me you love me. And again, that is a sad relational situation to be in, and I can understand why a person would express that, but ultimately we can't we can't elevate a lack of love to primary need or it will be controlling and our need list will expand and we will be tempted to become angry. And so the question becomes, how do you help such a person? The person who has too many needs, they're so easily angered over so many things. Well, you don't want to do what they do uh, by reciprocating in kind. But choosing not to be angry at the angry manipulator, it doesn't mean that the only option left is passivity. And so we want to stay out of ditches here. We don't want to jump in one ditch and be sinfully angry and respond to them in kind. But we don't want to jump into the other ditch and just be passive toward them as well. In Luke 6, 27 through 49, uh, we see the story where Jesus decided not to get angry or become a doormat. He chose not to jump into the ditch of sinful anger, and he chose not to jump into the ditch of being passive and, and a doormat. And we too can be like Christ. Jesus was an aggressive, proactive man when responding to unlovable people, though his aggression differed from the angry image bearer who manipulates others to ascertain ungodly, self-centered desires. Here is part of what Jesus said in Luke 6. This is 27 and 28. I mentioned it earlier. He says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Sometimes his love looked like overlooking what was happening. Other times his love was corrective or confrontational, though never punitive. He did not become sinfully angry, aggressive, or retreat out of fear, passive. 
when he did not get his way. Sinful aggression or passive behavior is not the way of Christ. The fundamental concept to keep in mind is that if your worldview is other-centered, which Christ was, you're in the proper position to respond well when dealing with angry people. Other-centered disappointment focuses on how to redeem the opportunity for God's fame. Self-centered disappointment bends God's fame into self-glorying contrivances that keep the angry heart preeminent and everyone else manipulated subjects. And so step one in how to respond to the person who has too many needs and and they're too often too angry sinfully, step one is to choose that you're going to love this person like Jesus. He gave us a very hard thing when he said, love your enemies. The love is a choice cliche is quite clever, and it makes an excellent bumper sticker but a challenging maxim for living well in God's world, especially if you're the manipulated subject. Perhaps thinking about how God responded to you when you were difficult, that that will calibrate and prepare your soul for the next challenging encounter. I try to think this way when I'm in those moments to where I'm tempted as I am describing here. How did I respond to God before he saved me, and how did he respond to me? His transformative love was so powerful that eventually I chose to follow him for the rest of my life. You could say that he loved me into humble submission. You you could say, I assume if you are a Christian, that he loved you too into humble submission. Romans 5.8, that you know very well, says it just like this. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is how he responded to us when we were spewing out our anger toward him. And that's how we want to calibrate our heart. The result of his affection for us changed our lives forever, assuming that that you are regenerated. Alternatively, Satan's anger coming out of us It complicates an already strained relationship by polarizing the fracture while pushing the other person farther from you and God. Contrarywise, Christ's love pouring out of you inspires others to draw closer to you and God. The active targeted, and specified kindness of God working through you leads people to a transformed life. Mature Christians are like Jesus. They ask for little while their hearts are big with love as they enjoy the freedom found in the blessedness of of nothingness. Immature, insecure, demanding people have a long list of primary needs, especially when people disappoint them. The only way they know how to get those desires met is through manipulative anger. Don't be like them. They are not big, but they are small people with foolish hearts. It takes a boatload of maturity to respond 
to this kind of adversity with the love of God, as I have been outlining here. But when I talk about the love of God, frequently when a person thinks about love being the antidote or being the proper response to an angry soul, many times their impulse is to fire back with, Jesus turned over the tables. That is their way of communicating to you their truncated and myopic view of love. They are wrong on at least two points. Yeah, Jesus turned over the tables. They're not wrong on that point, but that is their impulse when they think about love. They have a truncated and and myopic view of love on at least two points. Number one, love has a broad spectrum that includes more than what they think. Love actually includes corrective action. Love includes walking away, not confronting a fool. Love includes confronting the center, the sinner. Love includes rebuking a fool. In addition to overlooking sin, encouraging the angry person, and examining the log in your eye, the person who immediately wants to say, well, Jesus turned over the tables, is is because they think that, that love doesn't include that. Love does include that. They have a narrow category of what love is. Sometimes the most loving thing that you can do is to rebuke a sinner, that you can confront the fool, that you can bring corrective action. Maybe it would be very unloving if you did not do that. And so when you think about love, uh, we, we become so enculturated by our understanding of love that we begin to think like snowflakes. We begin to think like our culture where love is so narrow and the, there's no teeth in it. Again, love is not that way because, yes, Jesus did turn over the tables. And so, one, love has a, it's a broad spectrum that has many uh, labels that you want to place along this spectrum that can go to examining the log in your eye and encouraging your brother and overlooking the sin to correcting them, to confronting them, to rebuking them. I mean, love can be any and all of those things, and, and you can insert other things as well. And then number two, yeah, okay, yeah, Jesus turned those tables over. But you want to make sure that you think clearly about what that means. Now, I talked about righteous anger in the chapter that I did in this ebook that I'm giving away here soon. And I talked about three aspects of righteous anger. And so be as angry as you need to be as long as it is coming from one, a heart of humility, two, Your anger has redemptive healing elements to it. And three, those within earshot of your anger, they have a compelling desire to draw near to you. One of the ways to examine whether your anger is righteous or not is to talk to those who were in earshot of your anger and get their perspective on their experience of your anger in that moment. And so when you think about love as being the antidote and love being the proper response to the person who is so needy that they get angry at so many things, well, love is the answer, but make sure you have a broad spectrum.
And if your love includes righteous anger, make sure it's coming out of a heart of humility. It has redemptive elements to it. And those within earshot, they are compelled to draw near to you because those are the three things that you will see in that passage of Scripture where Jesus turned over the tables. The title of this podcast is How to Respond to Angry People with Too Many Needs. If you want to watch it on video... It is inside of this article, and so you can read, you can watch, and you can listen, and we do want you to discuss as well. I have a call to action that I'm going to share with you in just a second, but I do want you to benefit from whichever medium that you prefer to uh take in this article. If you do use uh, the article, please uh, slide down to the bottom of it. And you can print it off on a PDF. You can print it off uh, at your printer, and then you can mark it up. You can also share this as a homework assignment as well. We typically put call to action at the end of all of our articles so that people can use them as discipleship opportunities, either personally within their family or with those that they are caring for outside of their family. Again, the title of it is How to Respond to Angry People with Too Many Needs, what I talked about is, is part of the problem is they have an expanded need list. They have taken secondary desires. They have elevated them to needs. They live with this low-level, imperceptible anger that runs under the surface of their lives. Sometimes it spikes, and then you begin to identify that they do have that expanded sin or uh, expanded need list. And then, of course, you want to address your heart and you want to give them the proper antidote, which is the love of Christ, which again has broad categories. And sometimes there is confrontation in that love of Christ. So with these things in mind, as I wrap up, I have six questions for you. Number one, what did you put on your need list? Is it larger than mine? I had six things on my my list, five as far as physical needs and one as far as a spiritual need. What did you put on your need list, that upper plane of primary needs? Number two, if you have an expanded list, will you make a case as to why you have them on the primary level? Now, this would be a good discussion for you to have uh, with someone. And if you don't have anybody to talk to, please uh, come to our community forums. They are free. We We don't want your money. We don't want anything from you. We just want to serve you. And if you don't have anyone to talk to about uh, this particular question or anything else that's on your mind, uh, please ask. But if you have an expanded need list, will you make your case? I, I would love to hear that myself, and so you can share that on our forums. Number three, how do you typically respond when others don't meet your secondary need list, these desires, especially when those desires are good desires? That's where we tend to get tripped up. You see, if we have an evil desire and we don't get it, I mean, if we have any kind of biblical sanity whatsoever, uh, eventually we will come to our senses and realize, well, you know, uh, that was a sinful thing that I was craving anyway. Sometimes there are good things that we desire, and that's where we really can uh, stumble over it, and that's where we want to be careful. Yes, it would be ideal uh, to have someone not criticizing you. It, It would be ideal to have someone that 
loved you. It would be ideal to have a relationship the way that you want one, but again, that's not a primary need. And so how do you typically respond when others don't meet your secondary need list? Number four, keeping in context of this chapter, what desires manage you? And then if they do, these secondary desires, if they manage you, if they control you, why do they? I have an article on our website titled that uh, what you believe you need will control you. And that's a big deal. And so whatever your needs are, they will control you. And so in context of this uh, chapter here, what desires manage you? And then number five, in what specific way do you need to change to help an angry friend? And so often that is the case. Uh, Before we go and launch into helping them, many times we have to address our hearts because we can be offended by what they have done, and we need to calibrate our minds before we speak. And so we want to be very slow to speak, and and then uh, or, or we want to be quick to hear, rather, and slow to speak and slow to anger. And so we want to process and make sure that our hearts are aligned with Christ before we speak into their lives. And so maybe there's something here that God is drawing attention to. And so in what specific way? Do you need to change to help an angry friend change? And then finally, number six, after listening to uh, this podcast or watching the video here, what specific, detailed, and practical way can you change or will you change? If there's something else that God has pinpointed in your mind, what specific way? And I say specific, detailed, and practical, meaning that you that you want to work it out, either through writing it out and talking to a friend and praying to God. You want to be very detailed in what those steps are, and you also want to be very practical. Now, if we can help you with any of these things, please do not hesitate. Let us know the title of the podcast is how to respond to angry people with too many needs you have been listening to life over coffee with rick thomas if you have a question for rick you can let him know by sending him a note through his website rickthomas.net that's rickthomas.net thanks for listening enjoy your coffee